This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us once again this morning through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few weeks before a group of us from Ascension were due to leave for Thailand this January, we received an email, the subject line which, of which in capital letters said, Schedule Change. I, I confess when I saw that, my heart missed a bit. You're all laughing. Okay, schedule. I, I don't care. I'm bilingual. <laughs> schedule Change. It's okay. And so I'm thinking, oh no, you know, it's going to be delayed. It's already like 27 hours to get there. Now, I needn't have worried. The, the, the change was merely a change in flight numbers. And anyone who's traveled with any regularity knows that you get these notices all the time as they tweak the departure or the arrival time or whatever it is. But sometimes in life, we can experience significant schedule changes. Our lives may take dramatic and unexpected turns. I can think of a few examples in my own life. Not least in my coming to Pittsburgh 16 years ago. An unsolicited email from the chair of the search committee inviting me to send in my paperwork and for the position that was open for rector. Well, that certainly changed my life. Maybe some of yours too. But I wonder, could we as a church, be on the edge of a significant change. We are in the middle of a time of discernment. So far, we've had six listening groups. Thank you to everybody that has come so far and has given us super helpful feedback. There are six more opportunities. One of them is after this service, but and just for the next week. And we want everyone to engage with this. We want to hear from everybody. We're trying together to listen to God. But could God be calling us to something new, something different, something that could literally change the way we live? And I'm talking about something more than the stones that we know need fixing. And with that question in mind... I want us to take a closer look at the reading we had from the book of Acts. This text is filled with unexpected schedule changes for St. Paul and his travel companions. In these verses, we have the account of Paul and those companions at the start of Paul's second great missionary journey. And it's a remarkable story. Of course, you might not have realized that it's a remarkable story listening to it a moment ago. I think it's the, the kind of account that I tend to want to kind of skip over. I, I want to get to the destination. All these places that we've never heard of, like Phrygia and Mysia and Bithynia. I mean, give me a break. Let's get to Philippi, where all the action is with an earthquake and a dramatic conversion of a fortune teller and prison guards. It's fantastic. But St. Luke, the author of Acts, 
is meticulous. So I think it's fair to assume that this is not merely introductory stuff to kind of whiz past. It's worth our taking a close look at the events that led up to the founding of that new church in Philippi. First of all, we see that Paul had not initially set out to plant a church at all, and certainly not in Philippi. Often God leads us on surprising and unexpected journeys for the working out of his purposes. Paul had been going really for a a revisit of the churches that he'd uh, planted previously. Verses 1 to 5 of this chapter that we didn't read describe how he and Timothy visited these churches and encouraged them and was helping them to grow. It seems he was more intent on discipleship than mission, at least initially. They'd planned to go into Asia, which would have made sense. And from there, it would have been a straight shot uh, to the coast at Ephesus. But the first schedule change notifications seem to have arrived before they even set out. In some undefined way, we read in verse 6 that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. We're not told the precise obstacle to their work there, only that they saw it as divine guidance. Now, I should imagine Paul and his companions would have spent a good deal of time preparing and prayer and discussion and planning before they set out. But that didn't stop them from running into a closed door as far as going into Asia was concerned. Not to be deterred, we read, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Well, next, they tried to go into Bithynia. But then they received their second schedule change notification. As they ran into another closed door, verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, we don't know how the Spirit prevented them. Perhaps it was through a strong inward uh, impression or through some outward circumstance, whether it was illness or political opposition or something else. We don't know. But in any event, having come from the east and having found the southwesterly and the northern roads close to them, the only direction left open was northwest. And so in verse 8, they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Well, where would they go from there? I, I wish we had a big map and I could kind of show you. But anyway, you can, you can look at those, not now, but you can look at those maps at the back of your Bibles when you get home and you'll, it'll all make sense. So where were they to go? The doors to the west were closed. Paul had already been to the east. He couldn't go south. That would have put him in the Aegean Sea. I, I imagine they must have started to be feeling a bit frustrated and puzzled. But later that night, their wandering, their wanderings came to an end, and the way forward finally became clear. They received schedule change notification number three. Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, and he was pleading with Paul to come and help them. So they got on a boat, and they set sail for Europe. This was a big deal. Now, we can see that now as we look back on what came from that journey. The birth of the church in Europe began with this journey that we just read about from Acts. 
Now, of course, Europe, as we think of it today, didn't exist back then. Uh, they were merely going from one Roman province to the next. But geographically and geopolitically, this was huge. They were leaving Asia and crossing into Greece at the southern tip of what would become modern Europe, the place where the church would be launched and would take off. I think sometimes we may forget that Christianity was not originally a Western faith. It began in the Middle East. The gospel had to be brought to Europe. The gospel uh, there then shaped what was going on in, in Europe and in the culture in extraordinary ways. Just 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection, the greatest ever faith movement exploded across Europe. It was the beginning of a movement that would grow to having more than 2.2 billion adherents and exercise influence for good in science, medicine, human rights, law, culture, and education. By 1900, 70% of the world's Christians were in Europe. That's no longer true today. Indeed, now... 70% of the world's Christians are outside the West and the North and are to be found instead in the global South, in huge areas of Africa. Last year, I came to understand this in a new and fresh way, partly through time spent at the Global Anglican Futures Conference in Jerusalem, but also during our time in Singapore and Thailand as part of that trip I started out telling you about. You know, up until a few months ago, I thought the next big thing on our agenda at Ascension was merely going to be repairing the stonework and fixing many of the parts of our fairly old buildings that were becoming worn out and we hadn't been able to do it before. But I'm wondering whether God may have a change notification for us. Not that we shouldn't fix the stones, the roofs, the floors, etc., etc. But what if God would have us do more than that, more than mere maintenance? What if God wants us to engage in mission like we've never, ever done before? What if our task at the corner of Neville and Ellsworth and in my street and in yours is to be a beacon of light and life and love to our neighbors. What if God would have us be a resource church that equips people to share the transforming love of Christ like we have never, ever done before? You know, I realize that when you talk about mission, some people tune out. It can, it can be a bit of a dubious word, filled with colonial overtones of forcing Western religion on unsuspecting people across the globe or even across the road. But what if mission is all about extending hospitality to our neighbors? What if mission is about blessing others serving others, eating with others, listening to others? What would it look like for us to live into the last phrase of our mission statement as a parish, 
sharing Christ's healing with a broken world. Here in Oakland, in the places where we all live, and to the ends of the earth. I think we can learn so much from St. Paul, as today we seek to discern God's calling on our lives and in our church. In the face of uncertainty, Paul didn't do nothing, hoping perhaps for another Damascus Road experience. No, he kept on moving, doing what he believed was right, but always sensitive to God's Holy Spirit, leading, directing, and redirecting along the way. Often we must step out in faith, acting on what we know to be God's general will and trusting God to guide us more specifically along the way. And when we do that, God may guide us through opening doors or by closing doors. And when that happens, blocked paths or frustrated plans, even wrong decisions, need not discourage us if, like Paul, we see them as ways that God can guide us to fruitful and faithful service. You know, just as you can't steer a ship unless it is moving, so too very often God steers and guides us along the way. But the big question here is, are we willing to be directed or redirected? Are we ready for our itineraries, our life plans, our goals, whether concerning career or family or location, to change for the sake of the gospel? Paul and Timothy discovered that God had put Macedonia on their itinerary. They had no idea what or who or when or how or anything else beyond where they should go. But what they found when they got there was that God had gone ahead of them, that he was already at work, working in the lives of individuals who were ready for them, who were eager and open to hear the good news of Jesus. Today's scripture passage from the Acts of the Apostles is not just for missionaries or clergy or church planters. It's for every Christian. Most of us won't have to move across continent or ocean. A walk to the other side of the street, corridor, or classroom may be all that is required. But that shorter walk could lead to unimaginable consequences. Missiologist Max Warren writes, for effective obedience to the Great Commission... That is, to the charge Jesus gave to the disciples to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel and to make disciples. The one thing supremely needed in every age is a lively response, and listen to this, a lively response of spirit-inspired opportunism. Spirit-inspired opportunism. Ever alert to the certainty that God will provide different opportunities in different circumstances. So, returning to our text, what did happen when Paul went into Europe? It is a remarkable story and pretty unsophisticated. There was a group of God-fearing women who were praying. Wow. I wonder how often that has been the case from that day until our day in the history of 
planting churches and missionary work. I'm guessing many, many times. I think of the tiny group of mainly women, not exclusively, but mainly women who prayed in this church 40 years ago when there were no children and no families. The gospel in Europe begins amazingly with a high-class fabric trader, Lydia, a New Age clairvoyant, and the local prison guard. It's quite ordinary in a way. Yes, God is interested in continents, in countries, and in cities. Absolutely. But when it comes to salvation, he's supremely interested in individuals. Individuals matter to God. You matter to God. Your neighbor, your neighbor, just think about your neighbors. They matter to God. In many ways, the challenges to the gospel that we face in the United States today are not so very different from the challenges Paul and his team faced when they went into Europe. We, like them, are speaking into a pluralist and multi-faith context. Theirs was a pre-Christian world. Ours is increasingly a post-Christian world. To the Greeks, the gospel was foolish. To the Romans, it was weak. And to the Jews, it was unbelievable. Not so much has changed. But the great thing about this account from Acts is that a simple prayer meeting, a few conversations, a willingness to give sacrificially, and the good news of Jesus can take hold and spread like wildfire. Very often, the, the real advances in others coming to know Jesus are unseen and unsung. Maybe it's not until generations later when we can look back and see how the faithful prayers of a women's prayer group or a simple sharing of faith over a cup of coffee, or the extending of hospitality and kindness to a person in need, interweave to produce good fruit. As faithful Christians have basically just got on with the job of being spirit-led opportunists. The best response to aggressive secularism is not aggressive Christianity. Rather, it is the unobtrusive gentle, loving, fearless presentation of the death and resurrection of Jesus to those who are around us. And at the end of our reading from Acts, we see the effects. Unmistakable transformation. But note this, the transformation that takes place in Lydia is not because of the amazing rhetorical gifts of St. Paul. Rather, Luke tells us, it's because the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what Paul was saying. Paul simply takes the opportunities that come before him and engages authentically with this woman. The Holy Spirit, it turns out, has already prepared the way for her to believe, and so she and her household are baptized. I have to say, I find this very comforting. It's kind of a relief when it comes to having someone respond to any thing I might share about the gospel. It doesn't come down to how good I am at it. Rather, it depends on the openness of a person's heart. And even then, it's the Lord who opens up hearts to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus. 
Obviously, most people don't have the gift of evangelism. Most people are not called to be evangelists. But every Christian is called to share the good news of Christ with others. And so we engage, we, we invite, we love, we listen, we present, we explain, but the Lord does what only he can do by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you know, you can tell whether people get this. You can tell if they mean business. Because when they do, one of the things that starts to happen is that people start to open their homes and their resources as far as they can to gospel work. Gospel work sounds very kind of churchy. Actually, it's having a cup of coffee with someone. It's inviting someone into your home. It's being authentic people. Jesus said, love your neighbor. He didn't say bash them overhead of the Bible. He didn't say all kinds of things. But we have good news to share. Oh, that we might be doing this more so that people would ask us, Ask us questions about the way we live, what we're doing on a Sunday morning, or whatever it might be. Ask God to show you what Holy Spirit-inspired opportunities He has for you. Because I bet you they're everywhere. I was recently reminded by someone who had attended one of our listening groups. And to paraphrase, he basically said this, we're going to have all eternity to worship God. We're going to have all eternity to know Jesus more deeply. And while it is our privilege as a church to gather and worship together, to grow in our understanding of God together, and to foster and practice good habits and spiritual disciplines in our lives, yes, all of those things, but to what end? To what end do we gather here? What is the outflow of our worship and our discipleship. Surely, it must be mission. Mission on our own doorsteps and mission to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, help us to pay attention to your promptings. Help us to pay attention to your Schedule change notifications. Show us how to respond and give us the faith and the courage to be more hospitable, to love our neighbor, and to listen for and follow your leading. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.